produced by Podcast Architects. You're listening to the Lead On Podcast, where we discuss experiences in the armed forces while exploring lessons from military leaders. Welcome to another edition of Lead On Lessons from Military Leaders. I'm David Deary, president of the Enlisted Leadership Foundation. And joining me in studio today is a good friend of mine. This is Ed Harrington. Ed is a retired Navy captain. I met Ed back in 2009. I was the senior enlisted leader in the Navy. I was referred to as a command master chief at the Hovercraft Base in North County of San Diego on Camp Pendleton. And Ed came in as a commanding officer. We grew to become great friends as as many senior enlisted leaders do with their commanding officers. Ed uh, transitioned out in 2000 and was it 2014? 14. Yeah. Uh, 14 and, and just has done a lot in a short period of time since he's left. So what, Ed, welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Dave. And thanks for propping me up for 18 months at, at ACU5 when you were my CMC. My pleasure. You were, it's like weekend at Bernie's, you know, he just kind of <laughs> Move me around, make sure it looked like I knew what I was doing. So very much appreciated. Tie you, tie you to the hood of the car. Hey, Ed, you know, I'd like to start these off with, with just a, a little bit of funny question. So, you know, everybody everybody seems to offer us leadership advice. We, of course, we offer leadership advice. And the advice that, that we give is always the best advice, correct? Well, of course. But at least we like to think that. But, you know, I'm sure probably uh, early on in your military career or even beforehand, some advice was given to you that probably wasn't so great. What What's the worst piece of leadership advice someone ever gave you? Well, I'll be honest. I, I worked, hadn't thought back to my first ship. That was an interesting environment, but I was lucky to work for a lot of great leaders, I thought. But I got to tell you, there was, you know, when it comes down to communication, it's like, geez, if you're going to say something definitively, please be right and please know what you're talking about. And I'll never forget when my boss told me, you know, Ed, you're about a 90% mission, 10% guy. And I was like, you don't have, okay, uh, you clearly don't know what's been going on at my command for the last two years since I've been working for you. But the benefit of that was I had his job about six years later. So it was helpful for me to know that when I took that job, I knew right up front, I do not know what's going on with the guys working for me, just like my predecessor. I had no idea what was going on. So it was very helpful for me because I didn't draw any stupid conclusions about anything that was going on because I knew that as their boss, I really didn't know what was going on at their commands. That was very helpful to me. <laughs> That's great. Well, isn't that so true though? I mean, just as, a, as an aside, the higher we go in leadership positions and the more people that we are responsible for, the less we know of what's going on and the more trust we have to have uh, that they're going to do the right thing, make the right decisions, understanding what the, the mission of the command is and the philosophy of those in which set those standards. So we trust them. I think it's really un- important to understand that what you don't know, no, no, be sure that you know what you know that you don't know something or, or you, you need to know, learn how to ask good questions. You need to learn how to ask the right questions and listen to the answers and, and be able to understand that. But the minute you think that you've got it all figured out is a very dangerous position. You remember we used to talk, when was I the scared, most scared ever was when I felt like I was the smartest person in the room. That was terrifying to me, terrifying to me if I thought I was the smartest person in the room. Very dangerous because I know I need help. Well, and sometimes as leaders, we can make people feel that we're the smartest person in the room going back to communication. The way that we communicate, 
the way we may uh, bring down morale, the way we may browbeat people, which is going to prevent people from offering up the, the, the information that we need to hear, even though it may not be what we want to hear. So then we're left thinking that we are the smartest person in the room. It all comes back to what you said earlier, which was communication. You've got it. Yeah. I don't know if I did it well or badly or whatever, but it was always better for me if I had an idea and it was a bad idea to be told it was a bad idea. And 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 the more candid, the better. And you know our, our mutual friend. I mean, he was great at that. 90, 75% of the ideas I came up with as soon as I presented him, he said, it was the stupidest idea he'd ever heard. And, and he was probably right about two-thirds of the time. So it prevented me from making a lot of bad decisions. Sometimes yeah. he'd come back and say, ah, it's not as quite as bad. But a lot of times he was right. More than half the time he was right. And I thank goodness as a leader, he was comfortable doing that you know yeah. it wouldn't me he would be comfortable saying that to anybody not just me knowing him but but that's what that's what you want and uh yeah i, I just i appreciate that i don't want to be the smartest person in the room and i want people to be professional and candid and i think sometimes people rule themselves out of being part of the solution and you're and you've always been good at this you can present a recommendation without making people furious or, you know, like, oh, no, if you don't do it this way, I'll tell you, all right? You know, and people listen. People tune out that. So, you know, people might be right but can be wrong. You know, there's a there, we owe it as we increase in seniority to be able to present an idea and a disagreement but present it in a manner that we're not just going to be dismissed as a hothead. Right. Now, you know, and I always like to give my boss a way out. That's what I would tell people is, you know, if I, I'm not going to be somebody that's just going to, and I didn't do it to you uh, rarely, if ever, but no, we're not doing this. And I'm going to, you know, stand my ground. I always say, no, we're not going to do this, but what we can do, which then you can kind of still get what you want, but here's a better way to go about doing it. Give the leaders a way out uh, because otherwise, you know, it's too often than not, you'll get yourself in trouble. And there's a real art to that. And I just saw this recently, civilian Ed sitting in a room and a leader right there in front of the boss, in a, but in a large group, just getting emotional about something. And I was stunned because he's like, well, I'm just not going to do it. And it's like, it's not immoral. It's not unethical. You're darn right you're going to do it if I, tell, if I tell you to. But, you know, there's a time and a place for that. And you can be candid, but not. In, you have to know the environment oh, yeah. you're in as well. And what? look at the position you put the boss in when you do. Oh. He, he handled it beautifully, but it Good. was a terrible thing for that person to do. Yeah. So switching gears just a little bit, you know, take us back. What was your motivator to, you're from the New England area. Uh, so I know how much you love the snow and you love everything Patriots and you too. But what motivated you to drove you to join the military in the first place? Well, my dad was in the Navy, and it's one of these classic things. He was in the Navy at the end of World War II. He, would, he had his four or five stories, and I made him tell those sto same stories over and over again. Double the angle on the bow, navigating, being, being overseas in Japan. I think that probably had something to do with it. But I was going to come in for four years and then punch out, and then I just decided, you know, I really liked liked the environment, the people I was working with, the mission, and and uh, it was just something that I grew to grew to really love, and and I kept getting jobs that I, I was ha I, they never had to kick me 
in, into a job. I, I was pretty much happy to take every job except one, and it, and it worked out okay, really. So uh, I, I was blessed and, and uh, worked for a lot of great people, learned a lot. Uh, it's hard to pick bad things because I, I was fortunate to work for a lot of great leaders. And you and I both did 30 years. And, uh, you know, I can look back on my career just to kind of parlay on what you just said. You know, there may be bad memories in there, but I was on the whole, the people really make the military experience a wonderful, wonderful time. And I will tell every now and then I have the opportunity to talk to some delayed entry going into the Navy. Sometimes I participate at commands during their command indoctrination. But whenever I get to talk to, especially the first or second termers, and I tell them, you know, when you transition out of the military, whether it's after four years or 40 years, uh, and you go to your Facebook or whatever social media you're on and it's your birthday, and you get all those birthday wishes, look at how many of those came from the military members. You know, 80, 90% of that feed is those relationships that you developed in the military. And, and it's, it's pretty great. You know what else? Uh, you know, you see the posters of the, the military people, right? You know, I think, well, I always joke about, oh, yeah, he's got the poster boy body, whatever. And, and you, you think that in the military. I got to tell you, one of the two greatest leaders I worked for in the Navy, you could say probably fit that mode. The other one was at the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Short, dumpy, barely in standards. And he was, without a doubt, him and those two are even as the greatest leaders I ever worked for. He had vision. He cared about his people. And he said, we're doing this. And he would execute that. And and I remember he, he did something. And I was sitting there as a smart-ass lieutenant, excuse me, you know, know-it-all lieutenant. And we, it's not going to work, Kevin. We can't do that. We can't do it. And, of course, he did. And it was a tremendous, tremendous success. But that's what I love about the military. I mean, all shapes or sizes, it comes down to communication leadership, vision, things like that, interpersonal relationships, how you motivated people. He he had the he had us all motivated we would do anything it took for the good of that ship working That's for awesome. that guy. That 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 is so great. You know, you, you mentioned vision. And you know, vision is that thing that, you know, something I want to strive to achieve. I'll never make it. But it's the thing that that motivates me, that gets me up every morning. I think about it when I go to bed at night. I feel that way often about the Enlisted Leadership Foundation. And, you know, I know that I've been working with you on this for a few years, and the passion you have has to do with transitioning service members. So uh, tell us about highly inspired transitions, or commonly referred to as HIT. HIT How much HIT we love that. acronyms, right? The Enlisted Leadership <laughs> yeah. Foundation, or ELF. Um, yeah. So tell us about why transitioning service members, and, and what is it? That, that you're so passionate about and why? Well, you'll get, you'll still make you smile because you know this. I, I was one of these guys that, uh, oh yeah, those people on the, you know, the road program at the end of their career, the weak, lame, and lazy. And then what, you know very well what happened to me at the end of my career. I had a medical problem and it torpedoed my last year in the Navy. So I had time on my hands. I experienced a lot of transition classes because I couldn't really work regular hours and, uh, it just kind of motivated me to see. I, I got a feel for what was out there. I got interested in what was out there. I liked some things. I didn't like others. And, and and then I just got around to, you know, you have a feeling of a lot of gratitude when sailors help you through a medical situation like I did. I mean, the guys that took care of me on a daily basis was HM3 Smith and, and 
H.N. Jones and looked after me and 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 uh, it just it, I think it just impacted me and as, as I told you before I got out of the Navy I wasn't very good at much of anything other than what I had been doing in the Navy so this turned out to be something that I thought I I could make it make a little bit of a contribution and and pay back so I've been doing these classes for over five years now behind the scenes just right there where we used to work uh, where I work now we used to work at Assault Craft Unit 5 Camp Pendleton. I've only really done it for the sailors up there. But it was a transition class, got good feedback. I enjoyed interacting with the sailors. I've done my best to make it a little bit better each each and every time. And and then I decided, you know, there might be a time where I don't want to go to the, the regular job and I want to do this. So I decided to start Highly Inspired Transitions, going to the EBV seminar, uh, as a result of your prodding at Texas A&M was very, very valuable. That prompted me to, you know, to start some things. And and it, it's just all about trying to help sailors. And my audience, I hate to say it, and I haven't achieved it yet, but the audience is not people like you and me. It's it's more of the people who are transitioning out after five years, six years, eight years, the younger folks that sometimes get lost in, in the mix. And that's a tough nut to crack. I've got a long way to go on that, and I'm going to need a lot of help, but but I am seeking them out. My church is helping a lot. I've, I spoke to a young Marine last night getting out at five years. He's out in six months. He's talking about coming to my next class. He's got buddies. They've all got my cards. And, and one other guy I spoke to just two weeks earlier, same church group, he was getting out, and I said, oh, did you go to TRS? And Nothing against TRS. These people are working hard, but it was virtual. And he said, oh, yeah, I slept through that class. Oh, so it's like we're not going to sleep through my class because it's going to be one-on-one, -on -one, in person, just about five or six of us. It's going to be very interactive. If you fall asleep in my class, I'm going to take one of those three-ring binders that I have, and I'm going to hit you in the head with it. So <laughs> you're not going to fall asleep. And you're going to have to answer questions, and you're going to have to participate. So that's what I wanted. No 30 students at a time. No virtual stuff. We're going to be in person. We're going to get to know each other. And uh, I want it to be a little bit different. I know it's a very saturated environment right now with the transition classes. So I'm trying to find a niche that is personal and more than a class. And I've actually, my next class is in April of 2022. And I already have the five people identified in the class and we're already corresponding. We're already corresponding. I'm, I'm going to try to drag them to a networking meeting next week and get going because some of them are very close to getting out. And okay. April, April will be too late to do some things. So it's just how I'm trying to give back. Uh, I can't build a kitchen that anybody would want to use other than myself because I'm not good enough at it. But I, I think I can help on this. So uh, what was it that drew you to narrow the focus, if you will, not that you're excluding the me's and you's, but your desire to really get those those first termers was there an incident or something that took place that what what brought you to that conclusion? I've been wanting to do it for a while, but I think what really helped was at the entrepreneurship boot camp for veterans at Texas A and M. We had one night there where we got to meet veterans who were a part of the student body at Texas A and M. I got to interview two people. Both of them had gotten out after just you know five or six years, one term and out. And I, I, I heard their story, and it was scary. Think, you know, it was great that they made it to Texas A&M, but they had about two years after they left the Marine Corps before they wound up at Texas A&M. And, and there was a lot of bad stuff in there. You know, they had 
fortunately for the two of them, they had a family network that could help them. They didn't have a good transition experience, whether it was being deployed in an operational unit right up until they got out, not blaming anybody, but you know, you can't, there's no one size fits all for everybody. And they, they really struggled. So I thought I got it. Those are the people I want to somehow connect with early in the process so that these two didn't have a bad outcome, but you know that there are lots of bad outcomes out there. It, it's easy to, the senior officers and senior enlisted typically, it's just about helping them go from good to better or better to great. I'd l- rather work on the other stuff. So end of this, th- this theme, leadership theme of communication. And we talked a lot about communicating, how that builds trust, uh, how the, the leaders that you mentioned through communication, uh, the effectiveness that had on your life. How does communication translate in this transitioning process? How important then is communication and how much do you utilize communication in highly inspired transitions? Oh, great point. So one of the guys in my next class was blowing me off. I sent him email, nothing. I said, did you get the email? Oh yeah, I got it. Hey, and I, so I said to him, hey, thanks for the reply. I'm still waiting. So in less than two weeks, I'm joking with this guy now that he's the class valedictorian because I send an email, he's the first one to reply. Even if he has to say, just got it, because that's a Harringtonism, right? Reply, I got it. I'll just, just get back just to you know. later. Yeah. So, but I, in all, all seriousness, the point is, guys, you have to be the best communicators out there when you're when you're job hunting. Any email you get, I don't care if it doesn't, if you're not sure, you got to reply to it, communicate back to somebody. It's the hardest thing we do, and people, I'm telling you, the active, some of the worst ones at it are senior enlisted and, and officers. They're terrible. Yeah, they, they don't respond back to you. you. You don't know if they got the email. But it's so important. I, gotta, I tell people that you've got to communicate. On the outside, I don't have to deal with you. If, you're, you, know, if you treat me badly, I'm not charged with mentoring you because you're not in the military anymore. Right. I can just move on. I'll move on to these other five candidates that we have. So it's a big deal. And I'm very blunt with people, as you know. I'm very yeah. blunt. You're poorly, you communicated poorly with me or you well, treated and, me badly. And, and and you're talking about communication through emails, whatever, but even when you're transitioning and you're preparing for an interview, I know that your transition class is heavy on preparing yourself to do an interview and, and you know, the communication from that worrying more about delivery as opposed to making, you know, saying the right words or sounding intelligent. But there again, that, that interpersonal communication. Yeah, and, and people really, people really need to. And this would this would help anybody on active duty. Respond to a question and watch yourself in the mirror and see how your body language is. And and uh, you know, I've seen guys, and, and it's a struggle. We don't have to worry about this because we're not particularly big guys. But you get a big guy can have a heart of gold, but how he delivers the answer or his body language can be downright scary. I had a guy in my last class. He is the, he is a wonderful human being, but he's a big guy. And when we first started the interview and the communication, I was he was it was it was you know it was aggressive and and we talked about it. And he but he didn't know he didn't know yeah, he didn't know didn't know. You know and, and, and two points I want to make, and and we're running out of time. But you know what? Number one, what I love about your class is something I heard by a friend, Travis Winfield, who's on the uh, board of directors for Enlisted Leadership Foundation, he would say, don't let the first time you do something be the first time you do it. And so often I want to just, well, it'll have, it'll work. 
I'm like, no, let's practice first. And in going through your class, practicing, because I, I tell you, I've been there and I see all of a sudden the cold sweats, the nervousness, people that could stand up in front of a hundred sailors all fall over their tongue when it's just me, you, and that person out at the table. So they're get they're understanding, they're feeling it for the first time before it's actually for real. And then the second thing to just to affirm when you talk about answering emails and how bad senior enlisted and officers are. When you write an email, so this is for everybody out there, when you write an email and respond, read it before you send it. Okay? <laughs> I will tell you what. Since I've gotten into corporate America and I've started over the last seven years taking the time to read before I send, I am so embarrassed by some of the crappy emails that I must have sent. The spelling errors, the miss uh, that makes no sense, added words. You know, it's, like, it's like, oh, I'm a master chief, so I'm so important. I don't need to. Yeah. Oh, I look so stupid. And, I, and so now, and, and, and to the, today I wrote an email and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that I proofread this first. So, didn't send it. <laughs> oh, right? Sometimes so, the best email you write is the one you don't send. Uh, isn't it? Yeah. No, we say, I, think sometime, I think sometimes we think, oh, I just have to send this email right this minute. Like the, the sky is going to fall right. if I don't hit send on this. And I had a very smart man tell me one time, Ed, before you write that message, you know, when you're emotional, stop, uh, print it, put it in the desk drawer, go home, come back in the morning to see if you want to you wanna send it. And I, you got to let me tell one last story on communication because it's just a beautiful story that you were involved with. When your commanding officer got very emotional about something and he was going to, quite frankly, for all of you out there, he was going to break the rules. I was going to break the rules specifically after I had pounded my chest in front of everybody the year before saying, I will never do this, okay? And it was a CO who was leaving, finishing, trying to, in his head he wanted, in his heart he wanted to do the right thing for sales, but he's going to make a mistake. And Dave bore the brunt bringing me the message that this was not going to go over well first. And then fortunately, I came back to work the next day with my brain re-engaged, but what what I what we did was we had senior leaders there and and basically I had an opportunity to apologize for what I was thinking and I was very clear about this apologize to that group but then turn around and thank them thank them for the fact that they communicated this very clearly and I took it as being concerned and that that was great it was the it, it saved me it saved me and it turned out, I think you could chime in, but I think it was actually a good experience because I apologize and I thank the group for keeping me out of trouble. And I, I hope that communicated that that kind of input was was valuable. Well, I'll, I'll just add for anybody who is who knows anything about Navy Chief Petty Officers, that tour of duty with Ed and working with the, the Chief's Mess of Assaultcraft Unit 5, and there's so much that we encountered over those 24 months together. But Ed left there as an honorary chief petty officer and not an honorary chief from David Deary, where I gave him one of my anchors. But the master petty officer of the Navy signed the certificate to make Ed an honorary chief petty officer. So for the, any Navy chief out there, that tells you the kind of leader Ed is in the relationship and the respect that Ed, Ed has, not just for Navy chiefs, but senior enlisted leaders at large 
And when it comes to communication, uh, he always did his best to communicate, but he did probably harder to receive communications and, and, and act upon what he heard. So, Ed, we're, we're just about out of time. Final question, though. We make a lot of decisions every day, and sometimes we dodge a bullet. So was there ever a time that it was a good idea, you made a decision that really failed, but you're like, oh, man, I, I got lucky on that one. So I like to say well, a, a lucky, bad decision. Well, uh, yeah, this is kind of an operational thing, but we're driving, we're doing ops on in, off the beach in, in San Diego, and uh, the seas were kind of rough, and I was down there as the CO, and it was like, okay, well, I'll go out the first first trip out with the with the boat that we were going to take out there, and we started driving out there, and I realized pretty quickly it was a bad idea when I was looking up, and the, the top of the wave was about 10 feet over the top of the boat that I was in, so fortunately, we didn't flip over. We only tore off a little bit of the boat in the process, but... So I calmly turned to the crew and said, yeah, I think we'll head back in now and secure <laughs> operations. Nobody was hurt. Nobody was killed. But uh, probably should have been able to see that from the beach or trusted the guys that were doing the calculations that they were probably right. So I still had a lot of learning to do as a CO back then. Yeah. Well, you know, we, but those mistakes, we, we <laughs> learn from them. Well, Ed, I want to I want to thank you again for taking the time. I hope uh, listeners uh, you enjoyed this episode with with Captain Ed Harrington. Uh, I'm David Deary with the Enlisted, with the Enlisted Leadership Foundation. We're building America's leaders, and this is the Lead On podcast. Lessons from li- lessons from military leaders. Until next Military Payday, tune in for our next guest. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>